Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Kurt Locks to our show. Dr. Locks is the Dean at the Brooks College of Health at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville, Florida. Hi, Kurt. I'm excited to have you on our podcast today. Thanks, Dave. It's a real pleasure to be here. So first, tell me about the university and specifically your college and why students select your institution. Yeah, happy to. Uh, UNF is, uh, University of North Florida is, a, is an urban public university, and our enrollment is right around 17,000 students. As you said, we're located in Jacksonville, Florida, which is, is one of the fastest growing uh, from a percentage standpoint, uh, cities in, in the country. Ironically, and I didn't know this till I moved here five years ago, it is, in terms of landmass, the biggest city in, in the country, as it turns out. So uh, lots of people are coming down here, especially from the Northeast. And uh, the Brooks College of Health, of, of which I'm a dean, we enroll in any one semester, we'll have 3,000 full-time equivalent students. And we offer bachelor's, master's, and clinical doctoral programs across really a broad health spectrum. Um, can certainly go into more details on that, but I suspect that's beyond what, what we need to talk about here today. But uh, as far as why students select UNF, uh, uh, I think they do it for a variety of reasons. But as a general rule, I feel like you know we're a big enough institution to offer college students what they want and what they need, but we're not so big that they get lost in the masses. That's generally, I think we we kind of fit that little niche. Um, in our college, we're, I mean, this is, again, one of the big reasons why I, I came here. We're in a healthcare mecca in, in Jacksonville. We have uh, as many as, depending on how far you want to spread the greater Jacksonville area, six to eight, not just hospitals, but six to eight healthcare systems, oh. uh, including rehabilitation systems and others, uh, of which each of the systems have hospitals all over the place. So it is an incredible, it's a dreamland for our students uh, in terms of the learning opportunities that they have and the partners that we have in the in the community. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about this is, is I our college is likely more different than many of the colleges of, of health that you'll find in the, in the country in that we also have student health center and we have the Student Counseling Center as part of the Brooks College of Health family. So you don't tend to see that. That tends to be, you know, student affairs and separate from academic affairs. But 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 ours are all together, which is is actually really pretty, pretty neat and, and provides some interesting opportunities. So do your students help man those then? They they do. Um, they they are not the um, I guess what I would say they're not the primary uh, staff in there. But uh, as you would expect, it's great to have these facilities right here where our students can go through and, yeah. and have those clinical experiences. Uh, and of course, we tend to hire a number of them as well. So it's it's wonderful. In fact, it's in the student health is in the same building as us. Even. Huh. So yeah. What a cool idea for staffing. I just think it's, yeah. and the other other question is, since you have so many uh, facilities around you, is clinical internships a, 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 a good thing for you or is it a problem? A lot of, a lot of colleges right now are, are struggling trying to get their students into in healthcare arenas. So yeah. since you have so many, do you have that same problem? We do, um, because, um, not because there's not enough opportunities, it's because we literally 
compete with 13 other universities oh. for, for those spaces. Okay. People are coming in from everywhere. Florida State from the Panhandle is coming over. Uh, many private institutions and online institutions, uh, state colleges. So if it were just us, it would be it would yeah. be a bonanza, but it isn't. We still yeah. we still battle. In fact, to the point, uh, I'll tell you, Dave, to the point where for pediatrics is really particularly tough for us. We're going up into Georgia for some of our experiences. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, it, it's good. I mean, I know the students appreciate having a good internship. So I guess you got to go where you got to go. Correct. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, what's new at the college? Yeah, so so the last couple of years, things really have been very new for the college, really, and for the university. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention is that we have we have really started to spread ourselves into other spaces and places beyond the main campus, which never really has happened uh, in any aspect of our university. Uh, and and what happened was we received a special legislative budget. Uh, uh, we submitted a request and received some some budgetary some funds to offer programs um, at a site about an hour south of us in an area called Palm Coast, and, and that's been wonderful. Uh, and then also, uh, we, there's a facility several miles off, off of campus where we have been able to build out a new simulation center. In Colleges of Health, having a simulation center, especially a, uh, a relatively decent-sized state-of-the-art simulation center is critical. Uh, to our training. And we didn't have that here and we didn't have the wherewithal to do it here. But with the help of the state and and I'll talk in a little bit uh, if we have the time, uh, a partner in the community that we work with, uh, we've been able to produce this facility. And, and most of this is all centered around nursing, but although not just nursing, that was kind of the impetus for this. Um, so we're doing we're doing a lot of uh, a lot of things even beyond the main campus that we hadn't done before. Yeah, and I assume uh, that sim does that sim center also help with some of your internship? Oh uh, yes, time yeah. yes, it does. And and as I mentioned with nursing, but you know, again, our, our nutrition is using it, athletic training, physical therapy. They're all using our clinical mental health counseling. I hope will will be uh, in there as well. And so you're exactly right. That helps us offset at least a portion of our um, clinical experience needs. Yeah. Uh, let me see. I think um, I was going to mention something else now. Oh, I know the other thing that, that I was going to talk about. The um, so speaking of the simulation center, we actually partnered with HCA Healthcare, and they're a, they're a major partner for us. Our students are are regularly in the in the hospitals in this area, and um, we've been able to form a, a, a nice partnership with them, where their uh, nurses and others are utilizing the facility as well. Uh, as a part of our continuing education curriculum. So, so they sign up uh, through UNF for continuing education and engage in professional development within our simulation center. So it's been really nice because, I mean, we're not going to use a simulation center 24-7. We use it a lot. But we, you know, we're not going to use it 24-7, but yet a good partner of ours in the community uh, is able to help us operate and fund it and at the same time utilize it uh, for their employees, which has been really, really wonderful. Wonderful. Um, continuing kind of on this theme of public-private partnerships, we're also working with Humana, uh, the insurance company, and they've been supporting uh, a Meals on Wings initiative that we have, which is a lot, it sounds a lot like Meals on Wheels because it is, and, and we work with people on the Meals on Wheels uh, wait list to help them 
uh, with meals. And it's it really does focus on food insecurity in older adults. And they've gotten on board. And it's been really exciting to do that, those kinds of initiatives. And these days, it really does take these kind of partnerships to be able to pull some of these things off. Wow, you got some great partnerships going on. Holy cow. We do. We do. We'd be lost without our partners, that's for sure. Yeah. And I really like the idea of uh, a partnership that also helps you fund some of your simulation. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> they have yeah. been wonderful. HCA Healthcare has been a dream to work with, and we've worked with them for many, many years. But you kind of take the relationship to another level, and it's really, it, it's been it's it would be a great situation for us and our students regardless, but to be able to share it and work with them yeah. has been fabulous. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to become a dean at UNF. Yeah, yeah, happy to do it. Um, although, frankly, <laughs> me, I, I'm not my favorite conversation. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, as you might expect, I started off as a faculty member. Uh, my background is in sport and exercise psychology, so. Uh, certainly teaching and research and, and everywhere I've been, at least until I became a dean, I tended to work with our athletic teams, our, 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 uh, our players, our, our coaches. And that's been a, a really a lot of fun. I, I love that part of my life and my career. And, and there are days where I really miss it. Um, and, and then uh, right around the time I was promoted to associate professor, I took a part-time role in my college dean's office as coordinator of grants and research. Um, and, and it was, uh, I thought, well, what the heck? I, ne I honestly never had any thoughts or thought I had any interest in administration, but I thought, what can this hurt? If I don't like it, I just go back to doing what I was doing before and it's, it's okay. And it was just part-time. Uh, that position grew into an assistant dean position. It later became full-time. I was later promoted to associate dean. You know how these, these stories go. And I got bit by the ad, you know, the administration bug. And, and, and so then even several years later, I became interim dean at that institution and then permanent dean. So uh, it um, was unexpected, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. The, the issue for me at my previous institution, and I love it there, still have a lot of friends. Um, it was a combination of education and health. So I was a dean of a unit that had both of those. And most of my time was actually spent on the former, on, on uh, in the education arena. Um, and that's not really my background. Uh, I was happy to do it, and I think I was capable of doing it, but where my passion really is, is in health. That's, that's you know, where my interest and training align. So anyhow, after a few years of dean there, I did leave to take the position here. Uh, and and I've, I've uh, boy, no looking back, It's it's been a really good move for me. Yeah. And it's actually exciting to be a, a dean of a, a college of health now, because that seems to be the hot, at least the hot uh, subject matters for the next few, for the next few years to say the least, huh? Yeah. And to do it during a time with the pandemic going on, you know, you, you asked about our students helping out. And I will say this, our students were huge, in particular, our nursing students, because we had a difficult time getting into a lot of our clinical spaces uh, be because of, of COVID. And so to do, you know, we engage in lots of testing and vaccinations on our campus and our student, our nurses, our student nurses were really involved in that. So they, um, kudos to our nursing faculty, certainly our student, our, our uh, staff in the student health, but our student nurses really came, uh, yeah. came up big for us during that time. So yes, it's, it's been an exciting and challenging time all at the same time. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah I, I left out the challenging. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, but you are exactly right. Um, I will tell you a very quick funny story since and then we can get off of me as a topic, I think. But I, you know, funny, you always talk about funny how things work and how your life could could go in very different directions. But when I was finishing up my doctoral degree and when I was coming out in my field, there were four jobs in the country, four in higher ed. And needless to say, it, it didn't work out for me. And so my wife, as it turns out, she's a quarter uh, Sioux, um, Native American. She always said that she would love to teach. She's a teacher by, by in the public schools by nature and would go would love to go on a on a on a, a Native American reservation to teach. And I said, well, this may be the time to do it because, um, you know, I, I don't have anything else going on at this time. So let's go and, and you'll teach and I'll teach and coach a little and we'll see where that takes us. And as it turns out, we didn't do it uh, because at the last minute I, I got a call for a temporary position mm -hmm. and and then the story is written. But but we were this close to That's who knows if you and I would be talking right now. <laughs> um, well, what's been some of the proudest moments you've had at the university? Well, you know, the it's interesting. Um, the the things that probably, uh, when I think of this question, uh, that make me the most proud might not be the things you think of. You, you're, anybody listening would probably think, okay, there's some big audacious thing that they did, and 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 that was what he'd be proud of. And certainly, you know, the simulation center and some of the other things that we're doing is is great. I'm certainly very proud of those things, but. Um, you know, I, I have a major sense of pride every year, for example, when we receive our licensure and certification test data that comes back. I know this, oh, yeah. maybe this sounds nerdy uh, and it probably is, but, you know, our graduates, uh, I'm, and, and again, I have a lot of pride to say this, whether it's nursing, nutrition, physical therapy, athletic training, every year pass those tests at rates that consistently outpace state and national averages. And, and that is a great thing to be able to say uh, and to tell people. And, and so, yes, I'm that probably more than anything um, is, uh, is what brings me pride every year. And I always look forward to that. I will also say maybe right there, 1A and 1B is when I'm in the community. And the number of times I've had our partners in the community rave to me about the quality of our students and, and their desire. And they'll tell me this, you know, they'll say, how many more do you have for me? You know, let's, you know, keep that pipeline coming. We, you know, we love your students. We want your students. And at the end of the day, it, it's pretty hard to beat that. I mean, we can talk about major initiatives and projects and buildings and and honors and rankings and this and that. And, and, and we have all of those and, and those are great, but I didn't mention them because truly what kind of really pushes me. And if you ask about the proudest moments, it's the the ones I just discussed with you. Well, you know, past scores, people should always brag about when they're doing above national standards. And and of course, when employees love the students, can't beat that. So I, I think true. those are two great things to, to brag about, to say the least. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. Yeah. The, the other thing I will say is, uh, is where we are, it, our students graduate, not just in my college, but for the whole university, and they stick around in the community at an oh. alarmingly high rate. In fact, there is no university in the state of Florida that employs a greater percentage of its students within the state of Florida when they graduate. Um, you know, the sheer numbers, we can't keep up with the sheer numbers of some of the huge universities in, in Florida. But from a percentage standpoint, um, we're, we're the highest. Our, our students come here, they graduate. And they take jobs in our communities, which is wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. Um, 
What's been some of the biggest lessons you you have learned as an academic leader so far? Wow, yeah. Um, and I guess you've been <laughs> a, a dean for a while, so. I have, uh, you know, three years at my previous institution, and I'm in year six now. Um, yeah, lots of advice. Wow, you and I could talk about this probably for for many, many for for a long time. Um, I do love to talk about leadership, and and so I would say that um, for me, what I've learned, and I think I knew this, but I always have to be reminded. If you if you made me pick one thing to always keep in mind as a leader, it's that you could probably never communicate enough. Uh, I think that's one thing I've learned. Every time I think I'm 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 doing it, I'm I'm sending out emails, I'm sending out video updates, I am we're holding you know college wide meetings, I am I am I am communicating, baby, um, you know, and and even then I still find myself going, oh, geez, how did you not remember to talk about that, or how did you fail to adequately address that? So. I do think the quality and quantity of communication is probably the single most critical part of the job um, uh, in, in leadership roles such as this. And so I try to remind myself of that uh, for sure. Um, actually, someone once told me, I don't know if, where this came from, but they said, if you think you're communicating sufficiently, um, multiply it by 10, and then maybe you'll be somewhat close to being at the level you should be. So I don't, you know, again, I don't, I'm not sure how, how accurate that is, but, but the point is good. Um, you know, communication to me is, is really, really critical. The, the other thing I would say is, and, and I, in my first job, uh, first administrative job, I, I went through an interview process and I met with the provost. And I wasn't reporting to the provost. I was reporting to the dean at the time, but the provost was part of the interview process. And I asked her, I said, what advice do you have for me? And she said, maintain some semblance of balance in your life. And I thought, whoa, that's coming from the provost. And I know what her schedule is like. So, you know, if she's telling me uh, to do that, then I, you know, I really need to, uh, I really need to think about that because as you and I know, um, you know, without balance, you're destined to burn out. And I, yeah. I can't and won't allow myself to, to get to that point. And I don't know, maybe it is inevitable, regardless of whatever I do. But I, I will say that, uh, you know, nine years as a dean is probably somewhere around double the average uh, tenure of a dean. And I would say my ability to, to, to have some balance in my life and know where to draw the line um, spend time with family, get away and stay away, so to speak, has uh, has really helped me physically and emotionally uh, because this this job's no picnic sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boy, I would agree. Um, do you have any advice to give to a new dean that somebody who's just starting out? Besides communication. Yeah, I think. Um, listen, you know the 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 communicate the thing that I would would point out is that uh, when we think about communication, we 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 do always think uh, we often think for those of us in leadership positions about you know sending messages, sending messages. In fact, even the examples I think I gave you earlier were sending messages. But but man, listening is critical. Asking questions, listening. Um, it, it, the, the thing that I think is maybe most important and these things certainly feed into it is you have to build trust. If you don't have trust, you've got no chance. And I think, um, you know, mean what you say, say what you mean. I, you know, I could certainly throw out various cliches that are nonetheless um, still very relevant. But I think um, listen, listen to the people, 
uh, attempt to deliver to the extent that you you can, but don't promise things that you you certainly can't deliver. People aren't probably going to appreciate that. But I think make the effort. Um, you know, when I came here, I, I'm nursing as part of of uh, of of our college. Uh, and I had very little background in there and I, and I owned it. And then maybe this is another, uh, piece of advice is, um, you know, don't, don't try to fake it, um, be honest, you know, uh, because you, you'll get figured out if you try to fake it, um, be honest and, and say, you know, what you don't know, but, but be willing to learn. And, and I, I still particularly have a special place in my heart for our nursing faculty because they accepted that very well and have gone out of their way over the years to really help me learn the field of nursing and what the challenges are and, and what they're dealing with and, and learn the language. And, and, and now it's, it's amazing how far I've come. And now I have a daughter who's a nurse for that matter. So, um, so I, I think those are some of the things that I would probably tell a new, a new Dean. Not only that, I'd say one other thing, find a good support group. One of the things that has really helped me at both institutions has that I've had a group of deans uh, who I could really rely on and we we get together even socially and then that's important too. But people you can really turn to are going through a lot of the same things that you are and can help you through and you can bounce ideas off of. That social support is critical because it can't be your your faculty, um, it can't be the people you report to. So, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of a small group, but a uh, a strong, powerful group. Oh, good point. Uh, what do you think the major challenges will be uh, for the universities in the next five years or so? Well, so uh, I think a few immediately come to mind, and and I'll begin uh, with politics, since this is probably the main topic of conversation on my campus at the moment. I, I can't really I don't really want to go into too much detail there, but but suffice to say that our political leaders have tremendous influence over what happens in higher education. And, and this includes things such as uh, public attitudes related to, to the content and value of higher education and, of course, funding, um, you know, and and I will say we, I mean, we have wonderfully supportive colleagues in political positions locally and throughout the state. And we couldn't do what we do without them. Um, but unfortunately, there are also uh, a number of challenging political issues impacting higher ed, as I say, beyond, you know, the, the scope of our conversation. And, and your listeners can certainly read about them in the news. But it, it's my hope that we'll be able to continue to work collaboratively with our political leaders to address these issues. And, and we have to do it in a manner that best serves our students at the end of the day. That has to be the focus because they, along with our faculty and staff, they really are my primary concern at the end of the day. And so I, I'm hopeful, um, but but um, there, there's a lot kind of floating around out there right now. So I think that certainly is a challenge for those of us in higher ed. Uh, another challenge uh, that I did mention um, just a minute ago is funding. And I think you're going to find that everywhere. I, I truly believe that those outside of higher education um, many uh, still believe that we're living large in higher education, but I'm here to dispel that myth. Um, there may be some that are, uh, but I can I can tell you the universities I've been at are are um, you know tend to be regional comprehensive institutions, and uh, we um, I, I think people would be shocked to learn what many critical staff and faculty are paid on campuses such as ours, um, how small our operating budgets are at the end of the day. 
Um, and and when you when you think about state support for public higher education gradually being reduced over time in many states, uh, and that the costs associated with higher education increasing every year, and, you know, given inflation, you know, look around what's going, what's happening now with housing and everything else. Um, this is becoming a real significant challenge. In fact, I, I'll tell you another very quick story. Um, a couple of years ago, right in the heat of um, uh, the pandemic, I we hired somebody um, in one of our departments, a faculty member. And she was really excited and she accepted. I called her, I offered her the job. She accepted it. We're excited. She's excited. Well, then she calls me back a couple couple weeks later and says, I'm sorry, Kurt, I, I can't. I, I, I can't believe I'm having to do this, but we, we can't come. I said, well, why? She said, to be honest with you, I applied back in October and it's now February or however long it took us to finalize everything. Um, and just in that intervening time, the cost of rent in Jacksonville went from X to X to Y, whatever it was. And, and it was going to be tight when, when I applied. We knew that, but we we knew we could pull it off. But it has gone up so much, and, and at least in our area, it was going up several percentage uh, percentage points per month. Uh, one month it went up five or six percent. Uh, maybe a few months it went up five or six. It was just taking off, and I thought, oh man, this is going to become a real problem because I know our salaries aren't going up uh, at the level that that uh, housing costs and everything else are going up, and. And uh, so I have some really legitimate concerns about that going forward because they've settled back down and they are coming down a little bit, but they're nowhere near where they were. And again, our salaries aren't going up equivalently. Yeah. I think the, the last two challenges that I would say and not many of us are probably dealing with. First, uh, the pool of available high school graduates has leveled off in recent years. That's pretty well documented in and this is projected to be the case, at least for the foreseeable future, maybe not forever. But um, and we're a little bit luckier in Florida in that people we are a destination state for people to come come to um, uh, you know to come to. So, but still, we're we you know we're having our own issues with that. Um, and relatedly, this is this is now a since the pandemic kind of deal. But we're seeing a large reduction in the number of applicants we receive for staff and faculty positions. So. You put it all together, you have a reduction in potential resources, and by that I mean all of our faculty and staff, and consumers, i.e. students in higher education, and that is not a trend that I think anybody would find particularly appealing uh, if you're if you're in higher education. So I do I do have those concerns. Uh, those are challenges I know we're all going to continue to face in the years to come. Well, what will opportunities look like? Well, you know, I've discussed a little bit of, of this, but I, I, I do. It's, it's funny. I, I never would have imagined that this would have been something I got really excited about and enjoyed being involved in. But, you know, I talked about public-private partnerships earlier that we had with HCA Healthcare and, and Humana and, and others, and, and I really do believe um, that if we're going to be able to create and sustain exciting new initiatives in higher ed, you're not going to do that with the budget. I'm not going to do that with the budget that I I, I have. It, it's the budget I have uh, leaves very little room to do a whole lot of anything, but but kind of pay the bills and keep the lights on and 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 make sure that the faculty are are paid and the staff are paid. But um, to do really exciting things, I think you you have to take advantage of of private industry or or, or foundations or, or or governmental entities or 
whoever you're going to partner with. But um, I do see that being um, very common now already, but certainly into the future, those public-private partnerships are going to be really, really critical. Uh, I think the pandemic certainly highlighted um, uh, online learning and the importance of online learning and distance education. And those aren't necessarily new in higher education, but uh, they are they were new to a lot of my faculty, I can tell you. So we have usually I think many universities tend to have a little cadre of faculty who are, who are really yeah. excited about and and, uh, and and dedicated to online and distance education or certain programs that were set up for that. But boy, it hit us and probably everybody else in a big, big way. And people who never would have thought about themselves as, as, as engaging in those kinds of platforms were doing it to the point now where I had a person I can think of, and I never named this person, but uh, who never wanted to have anything to do with online or distance education. And now having done it, doesn't want to go back to face-to-face -face, uh, teaching. So, you know, you, you're talking about a, a full 180 there. But anyhow, I think um, I think that's a, a piece of, of opportunities going forward. I think not surprisingly, new technologies will lead the way uh, to reduce costs, to save time, and provide experiences for all. For example, beyond um, the limitations of the location of, you know, where you live. So, uh, and I'll and I'll tell you one particular example that in in my field, I have a I have a, a faculty member who's in, engaged with with a a robot that they're using for rounds in hospitals. So if I am in a, a rural place where I can't get to that hospital, but we have this robot that goes along with everybody else and rides on wheels and has a video camera and a microphone and you can you can be right there and you can even talk to your fellow students or patients or or whatever you you might want to do and so i think that is just one example is a sort of technology that's really going to help us reach many many other people um, certainly simulation, as I talked about, that's not new either, but the ability to be able to practice on very, very real and lifelike uh, mannequins uh, before, um, you know, our students are, are with you and I, uh, I, I think is, is obviously, you know, pretty important. So um, what else? Opportunities. I think, um, I don't know, I think that's probably the two that come to mind. There's others. And if we have time, maybe we can uh, revisit this question a little bit later. Okay. Um, do you have any suggestions on how to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion on campuses? Uh, yeah, I, you know, we, um, so, so this is the real hot topic in, in my state right now. Uh, and again, uh, I'll, I'll leave that alone. But this, this is something that I suspect most universities uh, have adapted as a prominent focus. So, um, I, you know, I hope we can get beyond the rhetoric and everything else, because it's a critical component of who we are and what we do in higher education, I believe. But, um, you know, efforts, here's what I would say. I think efforts to enhance anything DEI related cannot, A, be an occasional thing that you just do every now and then, um, and, and B, cannot be limited to only what is done centrally or campus-wide. I, I really believe what has to happen, and, and this is what we're attempting to do. Uh, the F, you know, we, we often will have bringing a, a, a guest speaker and we'll do something university-wide and it's great, 
but but you have to be able to follow up and have those efforts trickle down into the various units throughout campus. And they have to be integrated, in my mind, into our daily routine. So our standing meeting agendas, our course and program evaluation processes, um, our professional development activities. And, and we have to, if you're going to have discussions, that's great. Conversations are important. Um, but you need to have those and follow up with those and continue those. It has to be a normal part of what you do. If you're just doing it every other day so that you can document it in a report or, or not every other day, but every so often and document it in a report. Um, and especially if there's no actions that come from that, no action steps, you're really not going to make any sort of real progress. We have a standing DEI committee actually in our college. So the university uh, has a number of initiatives. But within our college, we we started this, uh, I think it was about three years ago, not long before COVID hit. And, and the goal there really was to do several things. It was to enhance our recruiting and retention of staff and faculty and students. And it was also to ensure that we were doing a better job of integrating into our curriculums um, the important aspects of DEI that, that need to be there. These days, most accreditors uh, will demand that you do that anyway. But but we had uh, we had realized that we were doing it, but we really weren't doing it at the level we wanted to. So um, I think those are the those are the sorts of suggestions that I would have in 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 what seems to 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 work in in the two universities I've been associated with. Well, you know, uh, today universities are really focusing their attention on the mental health of students. So, what what are campus what are you doing, and what can campuses do to help tackle this problem? Yeah, wow. That so I appreciate this question because, as I mentioned, the counseling center is is uh, student counseling center is within my unit. So we've been talking about this a lot, just as many many universities uh, have. Here's what I would say. You know, it's in for it's, it is unfortunate that it took a pandemic to alert our society to the mental health challenges our students experience. But let's just call it a silver lining, I guess. Um, as far as what can be done, you know, we had to identify the problem. The first thing we needed to do is say, what's the data look like? Um, we realized our wait lists were growing and growing and growing and growing. We were not serving adequately, serving the needs of our students. And when you see even just the occasional story of a student committing suicide and, and these sorts of things, you think, you know what, it's, it, we're doing the best we can, but that isn't enough. Uh, and so, um, and, and here's the other thing that I will say, this generation of students is not as hung up on the stigma of seeking uh, help as, say, our generation or previous generations of students, which is wonderful. But that has also contributed to the fact that they're, they're happy to go seek out uh, assistance. And so we're seeing them seek assistance at levels we hadn't seen before and certainly weren't prepared even before COVID it was happening. But certainly um, following the pandemic, it is, it is certainly at a, at a heightened uh, pace. But I'm, what I would love to, be, to, to say is that our, our, our administrators and our student government recognized that we were doing everything we could, but that it wasn't enough. And we've had an infusion of dollars, uh, which has been great. Uh, and so we are able to hire additional counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists. But, but just as important, one of the struggles we were having was keeping the people we had. Uh, and so being able to pay them and increase their salaries because uh, that's become very competitive for these individuals now. So I, I'm happy to say that that, that is happening. 
The other thing that I think needs to happen is we cannot, we are not set up, and I would guess most universities are not set up to do nothing but one-on-one -on -one individualized counseling. That, that I mean, we could never do that. We have that and we do that, but we couldn't do it for every single person that wanted it or needed it. It's just counseling centers are not set up for that. So we do a lot with group sessions. We mm. do a lot with art therapy and animal related therapies. We have uh, recently embedded individuals. So now we have somebody in housing and somebody in athletics and, and in other places on campus so that it's easier to get to people. You feel more comfortable uh, you don't have to go to the counseling center to receive these. Certainly telemental health, we're doing quite a bit of that, uh, which is also, I, I think, really important. So anyhow, I think uh, I think that uh, that's probably um, the, the that's the direction we're going. And I suspect what a number of other universities are. Some people are are outsourcing. We've looked into that and at least at this moment have decided not to for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I suspect, uh, you know, others are moving in that direction. No, those are those are great suggestions. Um, here's a fun question. If you had extra budget money right now with no strings attached, how would you spend it? <laughs> that is a fabulous question, Dave. I I, I like that very much. And I, I have dreamed about these things on, on occasion. I think, um, you know, what, what comes to mind for me, because I think about what my current challenges are that are that resources could help with and, and what our opportunities exist uh, that a little bit of money could could uh, really serve. I would say two things. I think I, I mentioned earlier, if we could begin by paying a much more competitive wage to our employees, that would help on multiple fronts. Um, and I think that because that is such an issue, the turnover is, is really, really problematic for everybody, faculty, staff, and students. Um, I think I would I would do that. I would at least start there uh, as a as a as a beginning. Let's let's talk about finally paying these individuals what they need to be paid. The second thing I would do, and it may be odd considering we talk so much about online education and and getting away from bricks and mortar, but I would design and build a comprehensive state of the art facility to address instructional research and community outreach needs. That's what I would do. And and it, it kind of builds off of what you and I were talking about before, but I would want a facility where our students could train and at the same time, we could provide services to our, our community. Could it be resource uh, development type of approach? Possibly, but even if it weren't, uh, we would be doing something on behalf of the community and on behalf of our students. I think that'd be great. Having uh, the latest uh, technology in, in our classrooms so that we could um, provide in-classroom face-to-face experiences as well as distance experiences um, that make you feel like you're right there. Um, you know, we're getting there and we're retrofitting existing classrooms to do it, but to really build them out in a, in, in a way with, with the screens and, and the viewing angles and everything else, that would be that would be really very exciting. And then, of course, building, you know, research facilities, um, which we never seem to have enough of, um, for our faculty um, would be exciting. So uh, yeah, I would I would love to be a part of designing and building out uh, and and outfitting that with the latest equipment and everything else uh, for for training our students and and for our faculty. That would be really, really exciting. I think the last things I would do if I had a few extra bucks still remaining after that would be, can we fund student research experiences and study abroad trips, these kind of extracurricular types of experiences that, that I think are very, very critical 
um, for our undergrads uh, to, to fully immerse themselves and, and get what they can out of the university experience. Oh, I, I think study abroad trips is a heck of a good idea. I haven't heard I haven't heard anybody mention that one before. That's a great idea. It's you know our students come back and and the way they talk about it it sounds cliche but it isn't. They talk about it being life altering because you know some students travel with their their families and they've been around the world a little bit. Others no. Uh, they haven't. And this is just a huge eye opener for them. Uh, and and even if you've been around, if you're used to what happens in, in the United States and you go to some other countries and geez, we're on we, we do study abroads at virtually every continent, I think, except Antarctica. Um, and and we see things that they just they had no idea about. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, here's my last question. Do you yeah. have any uh, favorite books on leadership? that you would recommend other academic leaders? Oh, do I? Um, <laughs> I got a lot of them right, right behind me, in fact. That's good. Uh, so I should say that I am a, 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 I really enjoy reading books on leadership. And some of them are, you know, really densely focused on leadership. Um, but I, I like a lot of different ones. I read ones by certain CEOs. If I think, if, if I've heard that their company does very unique kinds of things and treats their faculty, or faculty, uh, employees well. And, you know, so I, I do like those. I like to read books by coaches who've been successful. Um, but but I, I'll limit it to just, uh, just a, a few here. I think the first place I would go is the Collins book, Good to Great. I got to be honest with you. I, I just, that remains one of my favorites really for two reasons. One is the points he makes are very relatable and I love his writing style. And, and I, in fact, we naturally kind of organically in our college, we're using terminology from that book on a regular basis. When we talk about, you know, hey, who, you know, who's on the bus, who's not on the bus, who needs to not be on the bus, you know, who's driving the bus, you know, these kinds of things. And um, it, it's just kind of happened, but it fits really well my philosophy of, of what we're trying to, to do and what we're trying to build here. So really like that book, um, easy to read and, and, and work through and apply. So I, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, there's a book by Brady and Woodward called Launching a Leadership Revolution um, that I also like. And again, I think is, is very digestible. And, and easy to apply in, in, in your life. And um, so, so I would recommend that one. I think that one's pretty good. I think if I were gonna give you an outside the box selection, um, I, I just really loved this book by Ed, uh, it's Ed's last name, Kat Muller, I think, Kat Muller, I think is his last name. It's called Creativity Incorporated. And, and, and so this is a different way to think about leadership, but it really it's essentially a look inside the creativity and values of Pixar. Mm-hmm. And, and so I like sometimes getting out of the, the, the normal routine and, and saying, okay, well, you know, when I heard about this book, I thought, oh yeah, I mean, Pixar was kind of ahead of, ahead of the curve and, and they're doing some really cool, unique things. And it's like when you hear about Google and how, people who've worked there and they discuss, you know, what's the environment there and why are they so successful and so creative and innovative. And, and I, and I'd like to learn more about what they do and how they do it. Can I directly apply it here? Maybe not in all cases, but if I can take aspects of it, um, I certainly would like to. And, and, uh, and if it can increase the satisfaction and, and happiness of my colleagues around here, guess what? That's all that's going to do is be better for our students and, uh, and that's, and again, that's why we're here. 
Oh, those are good points to end our conversation today. Um, well, Kurt, thanks so much for being on our show. I really enjoyed our conversation. It was my pleasure, Dave. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And, um, you know, perhaps we can do it again one day. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.